Fake news coming to you from Fort Wayne, Indiana this morning. Vietnam veteran fondly remembers a time when baby killing was socially unacceptable. Fort Wayne, Indiana, the petty prophet got to sit down with an American hero today. Mike McVernon, 70-year-old Vietnam veteran from Fort Wayne, told us his inspiring story of being spat on and called baby killer by hippie protesters as he boarded his plane to Vietnam. It was a better time then, said McVernon, who did three tours of duty as a Marine Corps mortarman. We were a pro-life country. Although I was surrounded by death and destruction, I knew I would be returning to a country that still valued human life on some level. How times have changed. When asked how it felt to be spat on and called a baby killer, McVernon remarked that it made him feel sad. The petty prophet tracked down these Vietnam protesters and found them working as clinic escorts outside the Happy Choice Rainbows abortion facility in downtown Fort Wayne. They refused to comment on the story. We were, however, able to have a conversation with some pro-life protesters outside the clinic. When asked what they thought of the poor treatment of Vietnam vets in the 1960s, the pro-life activists exclaimed that it was reprehensible, disrespectful, and inexcusable. This was right before they quickly interrupted the conversation to yell baby killer at an 18-year-old pregnant mother walking into the clinic. Ooh, controversial today. This is Joel Berry, and you are listening to the Petty Profit Podcast. Good morning. I'm glad you're uh, glad you're here. Tuesday of week two. We're going to talk about abortion today. So hope you hope you stick with me. Whether or not you agree, I hope to have a, a dialogue. I, this is going to be the the first of I think many discussions around abortion on this podcast and on the site. So I went back and forth with whether or not to uh, post that satirical article about baby killers, but. Um, you know, uh, abortion is is kind of a you might call it a pet issue for me. Abortion enrages and incenses me, unlike anything else um, in the world. Um, it is our culture's slavery. Um, it is our country's holocaust, and I will I I don't want to pull any punches when addressing abortion. The only time you will hear me softening my language and uh, my attitude is when we're talking about these mothers who I believe are being. Um, just horribly deceived by a a greedy and uh, demonic industry that that preys on them. I don't I don't want to say that they're all just hapless victims. I mean they they are people of free will, and I think many of them know what they're doing. But abortion has created it's poisoned our culture, and it's it's uh, poisoned the minds of so many who are a part of this culture. I, I I threw in a little jab at you know the the pro life protesters at the end of that satirical article. I am a I'm a sidewalk counselor at a local abortion clinic in my city, and I see all kinds of things when I go out there. You know, one of the things that frustrates me to no end, beyond just the the grave injustice that we see with these these young mothers walking into that clinic and, and coming out with a dead child, is the attitude and the behavior of a lot of the pro-life people. And I struggle. I have mixed feelings with this because I do I do feel that as a pro-life movement, we do have to have unity. We do have to support each other. And so I do try to speak very carefully when talking about people in the pro-life movement who might do different things than I would. Let me just tell you, you know, kind of some of the things that I see 
when I go out to the abortion clinic. And my, my attitude, my approach when I go there is that I am there not to cast judgment, not to condemn, not to throw a Bible and a gospel tract at somebody. I am there to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to bring his love into a dark place, and to be there as a show of support, kindness, love to young mothers who wouldn't be there, most of them, if they weren't already in a desperate situation. You see some really tragic stories at the abortion clinic. And some of these stories really, they don't make being pro-life simple because you'll talk to young mothers who will say, I was raped. They will talk, you'll talk to young mothers who will say, you know, the father of this child abandoned me and I'm, or I'm homeless. I have nowhere to go. And, and those things are not easy. And so there, there are a couple different things that I see um, at the sidewalk. One of the things I see is, is a, a real tragedy. And, you know, I, I don't want to judge the hearts of the people who do this, but there's a certain group of people out on the sidewalk who will stand in waiting and they will wait for a, a car to pull up. And they all are carrying giant uh, graphic bloody signs that show dismembered children, arms and legs and heads on the front. And I'm not going to deny the reality and the horror of those photos. That's what abortion is. I mean, in a sense, they are telling the truth when they hold those signs. But they have these signs, they surround the car, and as soon as this poor mother opens their door, you immediately have two or three people yelling, either quoting scripture and saying, thou shalt not kill, don't kill your child, don't do this, in a very very forceful way, um, in a very overwhelming way. And immediately you'll have the pro-choice clinic escorts swoop in with umbrellas and, and a loud boombox or a loud Bluetooth speaker and uh, shield this mother. And um, when, when you surround a mother who is going into a clinic like that and, and speak aggressively to her and hold scary signs, you immediately make the abortion clinic a safe haven you immediately make that mother want to run into that building as fast as she can to get away from you. And and when I see that happen, and I see it happen, it it's tragic to me. Sometimes I wonder what that's accomplishing. You know, the other thing that I see, too, is um, a lot of people out there just to hold signs and out there to pray. They'll be kneeling on a street corner, chanting and praying a rosary. They'll be walking back and forth, on the sidewalk holding some kind of political sign that says like what about my choice you know with a picture of a baby on it something like that and there might be three four or five of those people on the sidewalk and i i don't want to judge their hearts either but i think and then there's so that those are the the first two things that i see and then the third thing i see is people who are there for the mothers who are there primarily to care for and minister to these mothers and and are there to learn about whatever situation, whatever life situation brought them there and and to figure out how they can love and help and support them. And, And that is the approach that I think we need more of at these abortion clinics. There is a time and a place to make a political point. There is a time and a place to debate and be loud and shout. And I think that the steps of the you know, the Capitol building or, or your state government, I think that's a, an appropriate place to do that. But when you are addressing a mother 
who is pregnant, who is alone, who is poor, who is homeless, to walk up to her and shove a sign in her face and start yelling at her. I'm sorry, but shame on you. And and what I see in in so many of those approaches is the Pharisee who is praying loudly on the street corner, thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner over here. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. And I, again, it's, it seems like I'm judging the hearts of these people, and, and I, I don't want to do that. But we need people who are willing to be there, be a presence for these women on the sidewalk, and who are willing to just be people, to approach these mothers like people, and to not be weird and to not be goofy and obnoxious, but to make conversation with them and figure out how they can be helped. We need more people who are willing to just befriend and show kindness and support, even to the clinic escorts and the abortion workers, who many of them have had abortions, and many of them are, are broken inside and need the love of Jesus. So that's my little rant on uh, sidewalk work in front of the abortion clinics. So I want to talk a little bit today about how we end the injustice of abortion. What I think we're really missing in the pro-life movement, or not, not, maybe not so much missing, we're getting better at it, but something that we need to get, we need to grow a lot more in. And that is the cultural side of, of being pro-life, the cultural side of ending abortion. When you look at slavery and how slavery ended, a big part of the movement to end slavery, and, and a lot of that steam came from a novel. It was the best-selling novel of the 19th century. The best-selling novel of the 19th century, not a lot of people know what the best-selling novel of the 19th century was. It was a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. It was also known as uh, under a title called Life Among the Lowly. It was a novel by a woman named Harriet Beecher Stowe, who started to do a lot of research on uh, slave narratives, uh, firsthand accounts that had been compiled by the abolitionist movement. And she, she penned a very emotionally effective story that became a best-selling book. And it, it went viral uh, 1800 style. And, and by that, I mean, it wasn't just the book that spread throughout the, the culture and throughout the country. The book began a, a movement of what were called Tom shows that, um, that were like little mini plays based on the book that just began to pop up in every town, in every city. A cultural movement began, and the, the public opinion on slavery and how evil it was um, it really began to change, and you just you see so many, you see so many parallels between slavery and abortion today. One of those things, if you read Uncle Tom's Cabin, which if if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Go into Audible, download the unabridged version, and just listen to it. And there are a lot of conversations and debates between characters in Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, and you'll be shocked to hear how many of those conversations mirror the conversations we're having today around abortion. I mean, so many of the people in America knew, they knew in their hearts that slavery was not right, that, that it, was, it was bad. 
but it was kind of just accepted as a fact of life, a reality that you know has existed for millennia in every culture and every country, and you really can't get rid of it. And so many people were apathetic. So many people were not willing to stir the pot and paint a target on their back to oppose slavery. But the novel Uncle Tom's Cabin began to change that, and public opinion really started to turn against the institution of slavery, and the abolitionist movement started to pick up steam. And um, eventually it ended in the Civil War and, and Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, and there is a, a kind of an apocryphal story that we don't know if it's true or not that uh, Abraham Lincoln eventually invited Harriet Beecher Stowe to the White House and when she came out to when he came out to greet her said to her um so this is the woman that started this great war <laughs> like she was the one who who kicked off the civil war and i i think the pro life movement um is so focused on the political side ending roe versus wade um that uh we often forget that politics is downstream from culture culture is downstream from our theology and downstream from the behavior of the Christian church. And the Christian church is way too timid and too silent on this issue. You know, you may have seen the movie 12 Years a Slave, uh, the narrative of Solomon Northrup. It's, it's one of the many slave narratives that inspired books like Uncle Tom's Cabin. It's a harrowing, horrifying picture of the gruesome reality of what slavery was. I, I've, I've seen the movie once. I never want to see it again. And someday, maybe it's 100 years, maybe 150 years from now, Hollywood will make a harrowing, horrifying movie about abortion. They'll start making a lot of films about abortion because abortion will someday be outlawed. Abortion will someday be recognized as the injustice that it is. And long after abortion has been eradicated and thrown in the dustbin of history, our secular culture makers will start to look at it with a little more clarity, just like we look at slavery today. Because, you know, it's much easier to look at your grandparents' sin, honestly, than it is your own, <laughs> isn't it? Hindsight's twenty twenty, they say, right? In true Hollywood tradition, of course, they're going to cast themselves as the heroes of this story, the story of the abolition of abortion, just like they did with the Me Too movement. They cast themselves, somehow, they cast themselves as the hero of that story as well, even though they were really the villains. Who will be the villains in the story of the abolition of abortion? Well, again, in true Hollywood fashion, the villains will be Christians. (laughs) That's my prediction anyway. And the tragedy of this fact is that it, it won't be a total lie. Because there are self-proclaimed Christian abortionists. There are self-proclaimed Christian pro-choice advocates. Quote-unquote Christians like Willie Parker, who's performed thousands of abortions. He's now being accused of sexual assault by his former patients. He considers abortion his ministry for Jesus. Then you have pro-choice ministers like Nadia Bowles-Weber, religious politicians like Pete Buttigieg, who misquotes scripture to assert that babies aren't alive until they draw their first breath. Babies aren't alive until they draw their first breath. Any of you who has 
watched your son or daughter be born and waited those agonizing two or three seconds for your child to take its first breath knows that that is complete and utter garbage. Your baby was not a human life when it drew its first breath. Your baby was a human life well before that. You know, and just a few weeks ago, a dozen clergy gathered in a Texas abortion clinic. They held hands in a circle in the abortion room right between the high-powered suction machine, which, by the way, is 27 times more powerful than a Hoover vacuum cleaner, right between that suction machine and a, a tray of stainless steel cutting tools. They held hands in a circle and sang, Hallelujah, bless this room. Future Hollywood will smugly look at these death-dealing zealots with all the scorn and disgust they deserve. The world will finally know about the religious extremists who use the Bible to justify the wholesale slaughter of millions of infant children. Their names will forever be disgraced in history books and unflattering dramatic portrayals to be despised and held up as cautionary tales to our great-great-grandchildren. The Christian-led pro-life movement, however, just like the Christian-led abolitionist movement, will be erased from the history books. You may notice that the strong influence of Christianity in the role of abolishing slavery is not mentioned in our history books. It's not taught in our schools. But Christianity was really at the core of it all. It always was. And just like the Christian abolitionist movement has been erased from our history books, the Christian-led pro-life movement will be erased from future history books. Because, yes, the truth of God brings light and clarity to the past, but it also brings light and clarity to the present. And for a sinful people, that cannot be allowed. You see, in the future, long after abortion is gone, mankind will have another pet sin that they'll wish to remain blind to. Once again, true Christians will be called on to fight and defeat it before once again fading into obscurity. That's always been our role as Christians. We are, as C.S. Lewis called us, the good infection, quietly spreading the grace and truth of Jesus and living for a kingdom the world cannot see. It's a wonder that God chooses to use us as Christians for this work with all our brokenness and hypocrisy and failure. What grace and mercy. Let us revel in the opportunity to reveal brief glimpses of his kingdom through these broken vessels of ours. You know, I I leveled criticisms at some pro-life people on the sidewalk at the beginning of this episode, and while I do have disagreements with the way some people approach being pro-life, I have to acknowledge that we are all operating in broken vessels. We are all sinners. We all have our own hypocrisy and our own failures myself included, and God uses us in spite of that. What a miracle that is. But someday, those brief glimpses of his kingdom will no longer be necessary because the kingdom will be here. It'll be here, it'll be revealed in all its glory. Christ will sit on the throne in perfect righteous judgment. And all the stories told in eternity, they won't come from Hollywood. So that's our show for today. Um... I want to mention that uh, we are in the middle of 40 Days for Life, and it's a movement uh, to pray outside of abortion clinics. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, let me give you the website. The website is www.40daysforlife.com, and that's the, that's the number 40, so 40daysforlife.com. You can go on there. You can find out if there is a local um, group close to you, and you can sign up to, to take a spot um, for any amount of time. 
to volunteer to uh, peacefully pray outside your local abortion clinic. So if that's something you would be interested in, I would encourage you to do that. God bless you. This is Joel Berry. You are listening to the Petty Prophet Podcast, and that's a wrap for today. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.